Langs helpfully, well, quite time, timingly asked a question before, what does Easter Sunday mean to you? Um, I want to kind of follow up on that question and ask you, what if you asked that question to your friends and neighbours, to your colleagues, to those who you know that don't know the Lord, who aren't Christians? What does this weekend mean to, to them? I wonder what they would say. Maybe they would say something like this. Easter for me, one lady said, is a happy time with friends and family. It's a good opportunity to get together, to have party, to, of course, eat lots of food, especially chocolate. Like Christmas, we're off work and we're, the kids are off school and so we have everyone around our house. And unlike Christmas, the weather's usually better and we enjoy the sun. She goes on to explain that her family traditions are to have an, an Easter hunt, Easter egg hunt. So we tell the kids that the Easter bunny has left eggs all, all around the garden and you can go out and you can find the eggs, put them in your basket and then bring them back to the house and we can compare how many we have. I like this holiday, as she calls it, because it's the beginning of spring. The lovely flowers are out. We can go down to the farm and we can see the newborn lambs. It's a wonderful celebration of new life. A celebration of new life. What kind of new life does she mean? Newborn lambs, daffodils and tulips and bluebells, longer, sunnier days, perhaps. But what about new life in Jesus? Is that part of what she celebrates on this weekend? If you are here, then I hope you are at least interested in the resurrection. If you are a Christian, one who believes and trusts in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, then, then we join with millions, if not billions of people all around the world who today, at some point, will be celebrating the good news of Jesus' resurrection. New life in him, but not just any new life, a new life that does not end. Many churches will be full with regular and not so regular attendees. But in our country, at least for many, they will not give Jesus a second thought today. What makes this weekend special for many is that it's a holiday, it's extra time off work, it's time to be with family, as we've heard, eating chocolate, cooking the roast lamb, perhaps being on holiday, or even skiing, as is the case with my neighbors. But they're not here. They're not celebrating the best news of all. Now, of course, celebrating new life is good. We have recently celebrated the new life of little Annie Oakley. New life gives hope. It lifts our spirits, particularly after the winter months, and particularly when we're surrounded by such death and suffering. But the new life that the world will be celebrating today will itself one day die. Lambs will, I'm sorry to say, end up on someone's dinner table this lunchtime. 
Flowers will bloom and they are beautiful, but they too only last a time. And spring turns to summer, which means more rain. <laughs> and the truth is, if people really want life, and life that lasts, it's only found in the resurrection of Jesus. But people aren't interested. The amazing miracle of the empty tomb is kind of tainted by clouds of, of lies, cover-ups, theories of the wrong tomb, false witnesses, fake death, the impossibility, the physical impossibility of resurrection. To many, it is utter nonsense. Maybe you have heard those objections. Maybe you have questions about the resurrection yourself. Maybe your friends, family have them and you don't know what to say. Well, I pray this morning that as we work through these verses, particularly the very first verses that we read, the beginning of chapter 24, end of chapter 23 and 24, I hope that we'll see that we can fully believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But not only believe it, but know an experience that is life-changing. The first reason I want us to think that the resurrection is true and life-changing is because there was a dead and buried body. You might think, what? Interesting, Andy. It's Easter Sunday. We're supposed to be celebrating the resurrection. Why are you still talking about the death of Jesus? Well, friends, if one objection to the resurrection is that either Jesus didn't even die in the first place, or that someone else died in his place, then the burial of Jesus' body is actually important. To have an empty tomb, you first need to fill it with a body, but of course with the right body. If you've been here over the last seven weeks, we've been working through the last sayings, the seven last sayings of Jesus, spoken by him on the cross. Last week was the last one where Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we read, you can look down at it, um, Luke 23 from verses 44. We see that around the cross there are many people watching and observing. The soldiers who crucified him are there and they confess his innocence. The Jewish crowds who were shouting crucify him eventually walk away beating their chests and the women those closest to Jesus mourning and weeping at a distance <clears throat> they were there they saw him they they heard his words they saw his face they even talked with him as he made his way to the cross these women the women that had come with him from Galilee but now he's dead the spectacle is over, the darkness has lifted, the soldiers have packed up and are going home, but the body is still on the cross. Often we can jump too quickly, I think, from the cross to the empty tomb, and we forget the importance of the burial. Because what happened next? How did Jesus get from the cross to the tomb? Well, Jesus died on a Friday. The next day was the Sabbath. It was the special day of rest for the Jews. And it was their law 
that no body could be left unburied on the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 21. And so, what's going to happen to Jesus? Who is going to bury him? Where is he going to be laid? He has just died a criminal's death, so maybe he will just be thrown into a commoner's grave, just cast aside. Another body on top of other bodies, like other criminals. As far as many were concerned, Jesus wasn't worthy of a proper burial in a proper tomb. He didn't have one himself. He didn't come from Jerusalem. His family weren't rich. They they weren't able to afford a tomb. And so it looked as if a commoner's grave was what he was going to have. But then we meet Joseph. Do you see that verse 50? Who is Joseph? He's a Jew from a town not too far from Jerusalem. He's a member of the Jewish council. This is a group of people made up of chief priests, the teachers of the law, So he's an important man. He's a religious man, maybe even a Pharisee. And Luke tells us he's a good man. He's an upright man. But we also see that he has a particular interest in Jesus' body. But wait a minute. He's a Jew. He's a part of the Jewish council. Wasn't he responsible for the death of Jesus? Don't we read in Luke 22 that the council got together to plot to get rid of him? And then the end of chapter 22, we see that they're the ones questioning him and accusing him and then sending him off to Pilate to be crucified. Can we trust this Joseph? Well, Luke tells us, and actually all of the gospel writers tell us, that Joseph was a believer in Jesus. He hadn't consented, as Luke tells us, in the council's decision to get rid of him. He didn't agree with the action to have him crucified. Joseph, like Nicodemus, had listened to Jesus' words and they believed him. He, like all Jews, was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was waiting for this promised king to come and and rule Israel once again. And he'd been listening to Jesus' words and Jesus claims to be that king and he believed it. And so for Joseph... The body of Jesus to be cast in just a commoner's grave was not good enough. He needed a grave fit for a king. An honorable funeral. So look down at verse 52. Going to Pilate, he, Joseph, asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, placed it in a tomb, cut in the rock, one which no one had yet been laid. You can imagine because of his position on the council, Joseph would have access to Pilate to be able to get the body. He's prepared the body, wrapped it up according to the law. But notice, notice he puts the body in a tomb that no one else has been laid in. It's a brand new tomb. Often tombs were were reused and reused. Small holes cut into the rock, possibly a few of them together around the place. But bone, the bodies were only ever kept in the tombs as long as it was until the bones were all that was left. Then the family would take the bones away and the tomb would be used for someone else. And so about one year later, that's what would happen and, and that grave would then be used. But for Jesus... 
who according to the religious leaders had led a criminal's death, was buried in a tomb fit for a king. A unique tomb, only for him. Because that is who he is. So friends, we can believe in the resurrection of Jesus because he first died and he was buried in a tomb, a tomb, a new tomb, a tomb that was marked, not discarded among the masses to be confused and lost or stolen, but in a tomb with a big stone in front of it to seal it. A place that was known. The women knew where it was. You see that from verse 55? They go and they see how he was laid. And they decide to go away and prepare the spices so they could come back and put them on the body to mask the smell of the decay. We can believe it because Jesus' body was in the tomb and it was his body that came out. How is that life-changing? It's life-changing because although death is real and the funeral often confirms the reality of that death, the resurrection means that the grave is not the end. There will be many of us here this morning who know all too well the solemn horrors of death, the death of those we know and love. The sadness and the sorrow surrounding the grave as the body is buried. Or the sadness of seeing the curtain go over the coffin. The loss is painful. It can be particularly heart aching for those who aren't believers. But the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that all will be resurrected to something. Heaven or hell. But the good news is for those who die in, with faith in Jesus, that the grave is not the end, but it is a gateway to new life. And without the resurrection, then there will be no new life. There will be no afterlife. There will be no heaven. And so when we experience the death of those we know and love, those who have trusted in Christ, our sorrow and our pain is real and true, but it's mixed with joy and hope. Many of us will know what that feels like. Why is there that mixture of emotions? Well, because there was a man who came back from the dead, a man who came out of the tomb, who has a resurrected body that is still alive today and has never decayed. The resurrection of Jesus and the teaching of the Bible is that one day all graves will open and the bodies will be united to the spirits, some to everlasting death, but others to everlasting life. So we can believe in the resurrection because there was a dead and buried body, but it's life-changing because the grave is not the end. And so we don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear death. We don't need to mourn as those in the world mourn when people die. Second reason why we 
can believe in the resurrection being true, and that is life-changing, is that the tomb <clears throat> was empty. <clears throat> but you may ask, how can someone come back to life? How can someone escape from a sealed tomb? How can they get past the armed guard of soldiers, and particularly after the torture of crucifixion? How can someone carry on living when they need to be in hospital? Well, have you ever watched those escape artists, those people who seem to be able to bend the laws of physics to escape from incredible tangles? You see that them handcuffed and chains all around their body. Then they're put into a straitjacket. They're blindfolded. They're put into a cage upside down. Then lowered into a tank of water. And, you know, it's just impossible for them to get out of it. And all they have is the time it takes for their body to run out of oxygen. And then they'll die. Well, that's what it was like for Jesus. There was no way he was getting out of the tomb. He was dead for a start. Tomb was sealed and Roman soldiers were guarding it. The only way he was getting out was by a miracle. And that's what happens. We read it, Matthew, and Matthew's gospel tells us the angels come and move the stone. And Jesus is alive. Notice in Luke's gospel, though, the, for the women, the shock. Notice the confusion they have for them when they arrive at the tomb, and it's empty. Chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. <clears throat> Mary Magdalene, a woman that had been delivered from demons by Jesus. Joanna, the wife of an important man in King Herod's house. Mary, the mother of James, one of Jesus' disciples. They'd all planned to get the spices ready and to go on the third day after the Sabbath to put the spices on the body, they fully expected the body to be there and dead. And there they arrive. They arrive at the tomb. There's no mistaking the tomb. They don't question whether they've gone to the wrong tomb at all. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. But they still don't get it. They're still wondering and questioning, well, what has happened? Where is the body? When faced with the, the empty tomb, their expectation is not resurrection, but it's where have they moved the Lord? That's what they ask to who they think is the gardener. Where, where have you moved the body? The women's first thought of resurrection was when the angels told he's alive. See, verse 5, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men... The men said to them, why do you look for the living among the, among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. It's almost as if the angels are surprised 
that the women didn't know this. Why are you looking for the dead among the living? Surely you remember that he said a few times that he would come back to life. Is that not why you're here on the third day, ready, waiting for the resurrection? No. But now they know that's the reason. Surely they must believe. Is it true? Are they telling the truth? Well, who would want most of all to squash any claims that Jesus had come back to life? It would be those religious leaders who wanted him crucified. They had heard of this claim that Jesus would come back to life and so they made sure that that couldn't happen as far as they could see. The tomb would seal that it would be guarded by those Roman soldiers. No way was he getting out. No way was his body be able to be stolen. But the tomb is empty and there is no body. So if you want to kill any rumors that Jesus has come back to life, then simply you have to reveal the body. Here it is. He's still dead. But they couldn't. Because there wasn't a body. And so instead, they began their own rumors that he'd been stolen. There's an American historian called Paul Mayer, and he says, if all the evidence is weighed carefully and fairly, it is indeed justifiable according to the canons of historical research to conclude that the tomb in which Jesus was buried was actually empty on the morning of that first Easter. And no shred of evidence has yet been discovered in literary sources, epigraphy, or archaeology that would disprove this statement. Jesus is alive. You could say that one would be able to predict their death, perhaps, and then manipulate events to make it happen. But you can't predict that you're going to come back to life three days later. Unless... You are God. Unless you have that power, that authority to be raised again to life. And that's what Jesus does. He comes back to life, conquering death, putting it to an end. Jesus, the first fruits, the first to resurrection life, so that many will follow after. That hope that because of Jesus, we too can have resurrection life one day. We can't only believe it's true, but that it's life-changing. If it's happened once, it will happen again. Amen? Jesus said that he would be crucified, and on the third day, he would be raised again. He said those words, and those words came to truth. His testimony, his teaching, his prophecy of what would come, all came right. And so when Jesus says he will come back again one day to take us to be with him, we can believe it. There are wonderful teachings in the Bible that Jesus has given to us. But unless the resurrection is true, if Jesus didn't come back to life, then just as the Apostle Paul says, our faith is in vain. We are to be pitied above all people. But no, Jesus died to pay the price for sin. And he rose again to give everlasting life. Are you looking forward to a new resurrected body?
There will be many of us who will be struggling in our bodies, some more than others. We know our failings. We want new bodies. We don't know the day that we're going to die. But as our bodies get older, our bodies do frail and get weak. The end of life can be tough and can be difficult because of our bodies that fail. But remember that the death is not the end. Because the tomb is empty, one day if you trusted in Christ, you too will rise to resurrected life. Because of him. We can believe in the resurrection because there was a dead and buried body. We can believe because the tomb was empty. We also can believe because people saw him. People saw Jesus. The eyewitnesses to Jesus are trustworthy. If I were to tell you that there is a, a yellow sculpture in Liverpool that's half sheep and half banana, it is called a super lamb banana, would you believe me? Maybe if many of my fellow Northwesterners came and told you that there is this super lamb banana, would you believe it? Maybe if you saw it on the news or read it in the paper. Maybe if you saw a picture of it, then you would believe it. Maybe for you, you would only believe it if you saw it for yourself. One of the facts about the resurrection, I think that helps me believe it, is actually that first of all, nobody believed it. Did you get that? The resurrection is not made up. It's not a fairy story. People believed that Jesus came back from the dead because they saw him. The women didn't believe it at first. They only believed it when they heard the words of the angel and then saw him later. And we see in our passage that they run back to the disciples and they tell them that he's come back to life. What do they say? They do not believe the women. Verse 11. Their words seem like nonsense to them. Just like many today, it's nonsense. You can imagine them saying to the women, who presumably had come back early from the tomb because there was no body for them to put spices on. You know, why have you come back? What's all the, all the commotion? But do you really expect us to believe that he's come back to life? That the tomb is empty? Have you seen him? Did you really see angels? Perhaps, like many have suggested, they were just overcome with grief. The death of Jesus, and they'd simply had hallucinations. The disciples didn't believe. None of them had recalled the words of Jesus and said, oh, hold on a minute. Remember, he said he would come back to life on the third day. They didn't believe. But at least Peter was intrigued enough to go and see for himself. In verse 12, Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. The tomb was empty, but the grave clothes are still there, unwrapped. People don't just come back to life. 
but their belief in the resurrection was settled finally when they saw him for themselves. Luke goes on, he tells us the story of those who met him on the road to Emmaus. We heard that read to us, verses 13 to 35. And then Luke tells us of Jesus appearing before his disciples in verse 36. Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do you doubts come into your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. This was no magic trick. It's no hallucination. It's no impersonation by someone else. It was Jesus. They saw him there. They heard his voice. Peace be with you. They touched his wounds. Wounds, of course, that only he would have. They watched him taste and eat fish. A ghost doesn't do these things. All the senses, all the senses at work to confirm that it really was Jesus. And did you know that as you read on in the, Old, in the New Testament, we hear that Jesus appeared a number of times to different people. 500 people at one time. The eyewitnesses are trustworthy because they first doubted and then they saw. They weren't gullible. They didn't believe with blind faith. They didn't make it up and then die for it. They saw him. And we can see him too. We see him through their eyes. We can believe that the resurrection is true because the eyewitnesses are trustworthy. But not only that it's true, but that it is life-changing. If Jesus really is alive, then this is the best news ever, is it not? See the difference it made to the disciples? Their lives were transformed. They were completely different people. Jesus spent 40 days with them, teaching them, showing them that God's plan to rescue people from their sins. And then he said, the Holy Spirit will come and give you power, and you're to go out and tell people about me. Verse 46, Jesus says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And so they went. And so they spread the news. 
and all around the world and down through the centuries, that news has come to us, to you. And so the call for us this morning is to believe it. It's to believe that Jesus died on the cross. He died to take the punishment for sin, to take it away. He rose from the dead to give new life, a new relationship with God. We can believe it. We may not have been there on that day. We may not have seen his flesh and blood. But as Sir Lionel Lukew says, this is a lawyer who holds the world record for 245 consecutive defense murder trial acquittals. Pretty amazing. He says this, I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer, appearing in many parts of the world, and I am still active today. I have been fortunate to secure a number of successful jury trials, and I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels absolute proof by which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. We can believe the resurrection, but we also can trust that it's life-changing. It gives a hope for the future. The grave is not the end. New resurrected bodies await us on that final day. And so therefore we do not need to doubt. We don't need to doubt what people think. We don't need to fear what others will say. But we can present them with the evidence and we can show them how Jesus has changed our lives too. And we can call them to come Come and believe in faith. Jesus is alive. Amen.